Hello, and welcome to episode 16 of the Strong Habits podcast. I am Coach Penny Vavridis, and I hope you're all coping well in quarantine. As we settle into this current life, some people are going to find themselves adapting to change better than others. Now, there are a lot of factors that will contribute to how well a person can cope, and most of them are out of our control. So all we can ever do is our best with what we have in any given moment. I'm so proud of those of you who've taken this time to really focus on your mindfulness and gratitude and movement quality. I think we're all going to get a lot out of this time as it forces our hand in a lot of ways. I want to start this episode off by focusing on doing what you can. I think it's important to adjust expectations right now. Expectations of what you can accomplish in a day, of what you can do in quarantine, of how much fat or muscle you can lose or build. That's not to say now isn't a time for goals, it 100% is. Having something to focus on and work towards is always important, anyway, always. But right now, I'd go as far as saying it's even more important. It's important because routine is important for our mental well-being. Gosh, how many times can I say important? And it's important, again, to have something to focus on and to work towards that isn't just thinking about the apocalypse. We need to take care of ourselves. This is a great time to focus on getting better at the things that maybe you skip past in the gym sometimes. I know I let my mobility skip practice slip over the last few months, so doing 10 minutes every day for the last three weeks has actually been wonderful. I know it can be quite overwhelming when it feels like there are so many things. That's why I encourage you all to get into a regular morning-evening routine. It's incredibly helpful. Each night, in your journal, review your day. Maybe you don't want to call it a journal. Maybe you just want to call it your daily review. Whatever. Write down what went well, what didn't go well, what will I do tomorrow? Here, list the things that you're going to do. This isn't all of the things that you have to do. This isn't This isn't your ultimate to-do list. This is what you are actually going to do tomorrow. Your to-do list could be never-ending, and sometimes that in itself is really daunting. So daunting, in fact, that you end up not doing anything. I usually pick three to five things to write here. In this moment, I am making a promise to my future self about what I'm going to do. So then tomorrow, when I do those things, I've kept that promise and I've ticked one more point for the person who I want to be. In the evening, I'll write that I did the things. I also use this time to list things that I am grateful for in that day and write some positive affirmations. Things like, I am doing okay. I am doing X well. I am growing. I am learning. I am good enough. These are more effective when they're believable. So when I first started trying to do positive affirmations, it would be things like, I am amazing, I am beautiful, I am great. But that wasn't that effective on days when I had a low mood. It felt forced, fake, like I was just lying to myself. I sensed the lies, I knew them. I wasn't going to be fooled by these sly attempts to trick myself into a higher mood. Is high mood the right term? I don't know. I'm aiming for the opposite of low mood. So, well actually, if I'm in a good place, I can use these grander statements and it's effective. If I don't believe it's true, 
it doesn't work it doesn't help it doesn't make me feel better it's also really effective to use i am statements rather than you are statements when you're doing positive affirmations so when i first doing started doing these in a mirror looking at myself saying things that i like it would be you are x generally actually focusing on things that i didn't like but pretending that i did trying to make myself believe it now this is actually also quite effective but it's the way you say it that makes a big difference so as i shifted to i am i felt it more even when it was something that i didn't really believe at first i am strong i am beautiful i am doing a good job i am doing my best i am worthy of rest the thing is there's probably not one way of doing this and i am obviously not a psychologist just a human who's sharing the tools that i have learned from other people over the years and those of you who know me well know that anxiety can still get me often actually but i like to think i'm pretty good at coping most of the time even when that means actively taking some days to feel the things and not do anything and ride that wave and in fact learning how to do that and not feel guilty about it is probably the best lesson that i have ever learned because that is something that used to destroy me to be honest but now now i can just have my days if i need a day and that's important and it's thanks to tools like this like meditation like journaling like sticking to regular bedtimes and wake times even though literally everybody i know makes fun of me for that although lockdown has actually made this so easy i get to wake up between 6 and 6:20 a.m. every day usually without an alarm because i leave my curtains open a little bit so i can be woken up by the sun and i get to go to bed when i want even if i'm socializing because at 9 9:30 i can just turn off my laptop and hang up it's the best thing ever uh so <laughs> looping back around i want you to focus on what you can do what are your non-negotiables in terms of your work with me for most of you that's going to be things like your fruit and veg count your daily mobility x amount of training sessions a week your knee and your protein intake it might also be things like journaling or meditating or reading a book now my daily non-negotiables are obviously all client facing tasks daily mobility training and if it's even if it's just 10 minutes of each which is the live that I'm doing with James so now I kind of have no choice because it's predecided and then read a chapter of a book or read a research paper journaling positive affirmations everything else is extra and I decide on what the extra will be the night before while I'm journaling I set my intentions each night for what I want to do tomorrow I make these intentions realistic so that at the end of the day when I'm recapping on whether or not I did the things that I said I would do I almost always say yes The goal is to build my intrinsic belief that I am a person who does what she says she'll do. And that's why I want you guys to do too. To build that belief in yourself that you are someone who can trust what you say. You are someone who keeps promises to themselves. You are someone who can trust themselves. That trust is important. Self-love and trust and compassion, it's a work in progress. And I don't know if there's anyone who's 100% cracked it, apart from maybe Lizzo. but it starts with the work the daily repeatable work it starts with keeping these promises and asking yourself what your intention is and actually feeling your feelings 
and I know, I know, me, feeling my feelings, it's taken me 31 years to figure out what that even means, having basically spent 10 years pretending like I didn't feel anything at all. I actually remember being in a relationship with someone and pretending like I didn't cry and I wasn't scared of anything and acting all strong and stoic and then any time anyone mentioned my dad I started crying and had to make myself stop and change the subject and hide. Hiding from all the feels is not helpful. I finally learnt that. Maybe I can help you learn it too. Hopefully that was helpful. Uh, A bit more sherry probably than usual so let's just move on to this week's questions. Um, so Jen says, I have been wondering about running. I don't want to overdo it to injure myself, but do it for cardio and moving at the moment. My pattern is about two or three times a week. Okay, so firstly, it is fantastic that you've been so consistent with your running, even amongst all of this chaos. It's really impressive being the results of your continued effort and consistency with improved runs, improved strength, and even fitting into smaller clothes. The thing about running is, it is a basic human shape. It's something that we are built to do, just not necessarily massive distances, and also not really sporadic changes in difference. As with all things, volume control matters. If you build your runs up gradually, And don't switch up frequency or distance from week to week. Your risk of injury is much lower. So that's not just running. If you go from squatting 10 kilos and then you suddenly try squatting 100 kilos, but you skipped all the progressive steps in between, your risk of injury is higher. It's not that squatting is bad for you or that running is bad for you. It's the volume management was inadequate. You need to make sure that the amount of work you do is appropriate. Your muscles will grow faster than your tendons, which means you can actually be, it can be quite easy to do more physically on any given day than what your tendons can handle. And you might not notice the problem until you've done that a bunch of times. When it came to my knees, I was doing more than my joints were ready for, for probably about a year before, before it became a real problem. But if you're sensible and focus on sensible increments, this is going to really help. You also want to focus on making sure that you keep up with your strength training, thinking about what needs to be strong for running. So your hips, your thighs, your calves, your ankles, incorporating regular strength work for those areas will be beneficial, as well as a consistent mobility practice. You also need to be good on one leg. Now, when you're running, this is a sport of being on one leg, just alternating. So you need to practice being on one leg. Your balance needs to be good. So if you can't stand on one leg for 20 seconds without falling over, then that is definitely something to work on. And with all that said, injury can be prevented as much as possible, but regardless of how careful and well prepared you are, sometimes things just happen and there is nothing you could have done about it. Injuries just happen. They can't be predicted. They're often due to just bad luck. Now, doing all of the strength training and the sensible volume management won't protect you from ever being injured, but it will reduce the risk. Just like stopping smoking won't stop you from getting cancer, but it will reduce the risk. Sometimes that's the best you can do. I think you'll probably be fine continuing with your two or three runs a week, so long as you don't do dramatically longer runs than you're used to. Generally speaking, if you're running three times, doing two shorter runs and one longer run is a good way to manage that volume and also leave you with enough energy to do other things. 
Okay, so next. Okay, so Nadi has asked, what body weight exercises can improve balance and is there anything you can do to improve mind-muscle connection? I'll start with the balance question. Um, And this actually feeds back into that running question from before. So start by thinking about where you lack balance. What positions do you struggle with? Spend time specifically doing that. Secondly, I really recommend brushing your teeth standing on one foot for the next two weeks. You're hooking the balance homework onto an existing habit, which makes it a bit easier to remember and also gives you two opportunities a day to practice. You will be amazed how much better you can get from just doing that. Other things that are helpful exercise-wise, focus on doing single leg exercises. If you can control your pelvis and your body on one leg, your balance is going to improve, but also all of your lifts. If one leg is stronger and more stable than it was before, then when both legs are working together, you're going to see huge improvements. This is going to carry over into all of your big lifts. So things like single leg hip thrusts, single leg squats, lunges, step ups, B stance and single leg RDLs, etc. Hopping. You want to get better balance. You have to spend more time on one leg. Adding layers of difficulty too. So like walking lunges with a rotation or with your eyes closed. This is actually something I get my older clients to do a lot as our proprioception declines with age and it's a use it lose it deal, like with most things. Now, if we move on to that mind-muscle connection question. So, muscular awareness is really important. So, it's great that it's something that you want to work on. Building this awareness accomplishes a couple of things. Firstly, it helps you identify your weak link in a movement if a particular muscle group isn't pulling its weight. So, if you don't know how it feels when a particular muscle contracts, it's going to be really hard to pick out the problem when a lift doesn't feel right. Nadia actually mentioned this in her check-in, being able to notice one side working harder than the other in a squat. So this is useful because it gives you the information that you need to be able to make the necessary adjustments. So secondly, the reason muscle awareness is so important is that it makes internal cues more effective. This means cues referring to a particular body part, such as squeeze your pecs, rather than an external cue like push the floor away. Internal cues are generally less effective than external cues, but they have their place. And they work better when you know how to move a particular body part effectively. If you don't know how to squeeze your pec or what squeezing your pec feels like, thinking squeeze pec or hearing squeeze pec, it means nothing, so you can't do it. So then you're kind of flailing around. And this is why I'll be more likely to say things like, pull your crotch to your face when I'm coaching you rather than contract your abs. Uh, So now, if a muscle has been weak and limiting a movement, your body figures out how to move in a way that gets the most out of the other muscles. Focusing on the muscle that you're trying to get pulling its weight can help you make it get more involved. So then you can really fine tune that movement pattern. How you accomplish this is mostly through isolation movements rather than your compound lifts. This is because there is little enough going on that you can actually concentrate on the thing that you're trying to do. The goal isn't to move the most weight, but to feel the target muscles contracting, to feel that that muscle doing its job. That's your, mus- that's your muscular awareness and it's important that you get better at it. So doing drills specifically focused on feeling it 
is going to be really helpful. Doing these drills is about learning to be more proficient rather than getting the most weight or reps or gains. The gains are going to come from your regular compound training. This is about learning how to control your body. So start with a muscle that you want to connect to better. Pick a couple of moves that target it specifically and do that. Really focus in on what it feels like. So for instance for glutes a good choice is generally a hip thrust or a single leg hip thrust off the floor aka a glute bridge. Lie on the floor with your lower back pressed into the ground, tuck your chin, pull your crotch to your face, push your hips up by squeezing your glutes. If you struggle to feel the contraction with, with reps just start with an isometric hold at the top, really clenching your butt as hard as you can. Keep pulling your crotch to your face the whole time, pulling your belly button into your spine, still squeezing your butt. When you can feel it, do reps, up and down, concentrating on your glutes, feeling the sensation. Do this for whatever muscle you want to get better at controlling. Do it often until you don't need to think about it anymore. This could be useful to do some of these as part of your warm-up to make your performance in the session a bit better. You'll just have to spend five or ten minutes feeling that squeeze so that when you need to squeeze it under load, you know what it's supposed to feel like. That was a really good question. This is something that I think will improve as time goes on. The more you think about it, that's why it's so important to be intentional with your movements. Just how I get you to ask yourself what your intention is when it comes to food choices. Ask yourself what your intention is when it comes to training. Heck, ask yourself when it comes to job applications and sending emails and talking to your boyfriend. Be intentional. Important rule for life, I would say. So Dave asked if my personal caffeine intake has changed in quarantine. Yes, massively. I've been drinking just one coffee a day when I wake up at 6am, more probably out of routine than necessity. Whereas in the gym, I was probably drinking four coffees a day and sometimes also a sugar-free can of Monster. I actually drank my first can of Monster since the gym's closed at 9am on Saturday morning and ended up sitting on my laptop until midnight, apart from my live with James and a walk, writing an ebook. I usually go to bed at 9.30, so that was unexpected. I couldn't sleep for ages, which was annoying, but I still woke up before 7am the next day, still feeling quite awake, and then spent several more hours finishing the book. I can't say I'll be drinking any more cans of Monster, although I did very much appreciate how much focus it gave me. If, while we're here, anyone wants to get their hands on this ebook, it's free and available to download via the link in my Instagram bio or on my website. Maybe I'll pop a link in the show notes too. It's a beginner's guide to nutrition, training and mindset. Those of you who have been training with me for a while will probably know all of the things already, but for everyone else, there might be some some tools in there that you're going to find helpful. So Tasnia has asked for tips on satiety to help maintain a calorie deficit. She says she's been eating an apple 30 minutes before her meals, which has been helpful, which I actually did a post on last week, I think, on Instagram, and she wants to know what else she can do. Now, Tasnia has lost over seven kilos in the last three months, so she's actually doing an amazing job and not letting lockdown throw her off. So, well done. And you probably are actually doing all of the right things already, to be honest. But generally speaking, focusing on food volume at mealtimes is helpful. So things like packing your plate with vegetables so there's not as much space for other stuff. Food volume is a useful tool in dieting. The goal being to eat foods that have a lot of food for the amount of calories. 
Vegetables are an obvious one, so you get a lot of food for not many cal- calories with things like bell peppers and spinach and sweet potatoes, etc. But also things like low-fat cheese and Greek yogurt, which can be lower in calorie than the traditional versions, but still high in protein and delicious. The amount of calories generally depends on the brands that you choose, so some will be lower than others, some will also be more delicious than others, read the label and do your own experimenting to find something that you actually like. Foods that are high in protein are also more satiating than foods that are low in protein. So this means if you can keep, if you can eat enough protein and hit your protein targets within your calorie allowance, you're going to feel fuller for longer. And this is the same for foods that are high in fiber. So if you make sure that you're eating plenty of fiber and plenty of protein within your calories, you should feel fuller for longer, which should just make the whole dieting a lot easier. If you're cooking and you want to eat something to tide you over, eating some of the raw veg that you're chopping for your meal is a good tool. Then it's not even necessarily any extra calories, but it's some fibre and something tasty that can keep you going until dinner's ready, which is more effective when it comes to weight loss than a more calorific aperitif like bread or mozzarella. Those were the examples I gave, because whenever I think of aperitifs, I think about being in Italy, having pre-dinner snacks, waiting for dinner to cook, and it always being bread and cheese, which... I mean, it's also great, but not helpful if the goal is weight loss. So now Lenny has asked how meditation works and how meditating can help with health and with weight management. This is a really interesting question. So while meditation seems quite hokey, it's actually pretty incredible. So much so that it has been studied by the science to see why it's so popular and what it can help with. And it's not just the hippies and the yogis and the Buddhists who think it's a good idea. There are people from all sorts of walks of life who are reaping the benefits of meditation. It's something that dates back to ancient times and is generally now used quite loosely to describe various different practices from guided meditations to quiet contemplation to breathing exercises or mantras to yoga or natural sounds. Different techniques used for different things with varying levels of difficulty. Um... The goal, generally speaking, of meditation is to connect oneself to one's deep inner self. And any technique which achieves that goal serves the purpose of meditation. That basically just means something that helps you get to know yourself. It's about sitting in the present moment without judgment and observing. Observing yourself and observing the world around you. It's about getting to know yourself. Like, really get to know yourself. Who are you? Meditation doesn't have to be a religious thing, though for some people it is. When I was getting CBT, Cognitive Behavioural Therapy, the therapist recommended 40 minutes of meditation a day as part of the process. This was to treat panic attacks. It was about finding that calmness. 40 minutes a day was way more than I ever did, but even a little something every day is going to be helpful. Research in meditation is plenty, but actually also mostly quite weak and it's because the results depend quite heavily on whether or not someone believes it will help them and it also can't be separated from the other health seeking behaviors that people make which makes it really hard to measure because if someone is meditating every day then with that they have this determination and this peace and this awareness to start making other lifestyle changes that are going to lead to health benefits and those changes will lead to improvements that can't necessarily be separated from the meditation but also are the reason that the health 
benefits have happened. God, that was a really backwards way of saying it. Um, so let me try again. <laughs> People who meditate are probably also doing other things that are going to be good for them. So then it's hard to say whether the benefit, the health benefits that they got were because they were meditating or because they were also being more aware of the other choices that they were making in their lives that maybe they wouldn't be doing if they weren't meditating, but they are and it's all kind of tangled all together and I guess it's a bit of a strange one. Because it comes back to that intentionality. If you can sit for 30 minutes, 40 minutes every day just focusing on the breath coming in and out of your nose or that sensation of your chest falling and rising or whatever whatever other meditation method you're going for, you've created space and you've taught yourself patience and discipline and this is probably the bit that becomes beneficial in terms of health outcomes also in terms of weight management because you've spent dedicated time daily practicing that observation skill that patience you've practiced feeling things and hearing things and wanting things and not reacting to them so then in real life when things that would otherwise trigger certain behaviours in you come up, you're better equipped to deal with it. And I think that's really how it helps, because you're less reactive. This skill can be practised in loads of ways, but it's easier in meditation because it's purposeful. So when it comes to the weight management part of your question, it's not that meditating has any intrinsic effect on energy balance. It's that with a meditation practice, you become a person who is more self-aware who is able to take ownership of her choices and choose things intentionally instead of mindlessly. You are far less likely to overeat intentionally when considering what it is you actually want in the moment. That doesn't mean you won't intentionally choose to eat an Easter egg or have a high calorie dinner. It means that you're making your choices based on what you want and keeping your values in mind while you do it. It means you are more likely to just eat one Easter egg instead of five, or have a couple of slices of toast with some chocolate spread instead of spooning the whole jar at once. It's just about being aware of what you're doing, and about being able to give yourself the time to make decisions that serve you. So Arj has said that he is struggling with training at home in terms of being able to focus, because whenever a break comes about, he ends up just sitting on his phone for too long and it throws the whole thing off. Um, so I've already replied to this, but I thought I'd share the answer with all of you because it's probably going to be quite helpful and something that you're all likely to also be struggling with. Um, things that you can do about that. Firstly, you could just set yourself a timer on your phone. So then every time you stop, set 60 seconds. You know you have 60 seconds. As soon as the time goes, you move on to your next set. Or you could write down what you're going to do on a bit of paper and just leave your phone in another room. Um, it can really be as simple as that. If you can, if you find that your phone is your distraction, taking yourself out of that situation so that it can't distract you anymore could be the best way to make sure that you can focus. And if if it's still too hard, even breaking your workout up into smaller blocks. So instead of doing three or four hour-long sessions maybe you do seven 30-minute sessions or something I don't know if that math adds up but the point is like find a way to split it if you need to or even do part of it earlier in the day and the other part later in the day there's no rule that says you have to do the whole thing at once and seeing as you're at home and you have the option now like you can split it throughout your day however you want it doesn't matter too much um 
Okay, so final question. Super asked, for those of us who develop good habits during this very unusual period, how can we maintain them when things return to normal? Particularly given that the extra time we currently have from no commute, no outside adventures will disappear. Another great question. My answer to this is going to be, well, my guess and my opinion rather than anything more concrete because this is a particularly unique situation. So I think part of how you maintain the healthy habits you're developing now will come from hooking them onto your identity. When something becomes something that you do because it's who you are, it's easier to do regardless of circumstance. I guess an example of this, maybe at the extreme end, is how I became a vegetarian. So I decided when I was 16 years old not to eat animals anymore because I didn't like how KFC treated their chickens and I didn't want to contribute to that much pain and death. I made the decision once. I decided I wasn't the sort of person who could do that. 15 or 16 years later, uh, maths is hard. This is still how I live. Now, I'm not making that decision about whether or not I should eat meat at every meal. I don't forget to not eat chicken. The habit is embedded in who I am as a person. And it's the same for other stuff. So like eating vegetables with every meal. If you believe that you are the sort of person who eats vegetables with meals, it's easier to do it every time than if you believe you're someone who doesn't eat vegetables but is trying to eat them. The same with baking bread. If you are someone who bakes bread, then when the opportunity arises, you go and you bake some bread. Whereas if you're someone who just wants to bake bread, maybe you just keep saying that you'll do it, but you never get round to it. Although quarantine life, everyone seems to be making bread. Um, But that's, I think it's just how we frame the story. So that when we all go back to the real world, we need to think about the habits that we've established during this time that serve us and make them part of how we see ourselves. Our ability to reframe stories determines how we see the world and how we see how capable we are of doing certain things. So say a habit you've got into is doing work, doing a workout in your living room after work every day. There are a few things that you can do to try and make this continue. Firstly, put it in your diary. I'm assuming your workouts would still be at home because I know that you hate the gym, which means you don't have to worry about getting to the gym. You just have to get home. So put it in your diary and also make it really a really specific arrangement with yourself. When I get home from work tomorrow, I'm going to change into my leggings and spend 30 minutes or X amount of time doing Y or this workout on YouTube before I make dinner. Be specific. When X happens, I will do Y before Z. Specific. Do this at the beginning of the week and then also the night before the day you want to do it. Like I was saying earlier about journaling, use your evening routine as a way to set your intentions for tomorrow. And then then on Sundays, you kind of do it for the whole week. So setting your intentions. The more intentional you are in your actions, the easier it is to continue with those that serve you. If the habit you've developed is cooking a healthy lunch and you want to maintain it when you go back to work instead of going back to Tesco, adjust it to a similar but different routine. So maybe you stop making dinner extra for two instead of for one. So then you can take that second half to work for lunch tomorrow. It's not much extra effort, 
but you have a meal for tomorrow and you can continue eating your home-cooked meals at lunchtime. Think about the things that you want to keep and then make the purposeful decision to place them somewhere and keep them. Maybe you won't have time for all of them. Maybe right now you're working out every day. Maybe just pick your top three or five things, whatever. You might not have time for all of the tasks that you've been doing to do them when you have to go back to work. That's how time works. But pick the things that serve you most and genuinely think about what you want to get out of them. Focus on what they give you, how they benefit you, how it makes you feel when you do it, how it makes you feel knowing that you've done it. Spending time contemplating your personal why helps you hold on to the things that you want to do. Also, just don't make plans that are so grand that they're too hard. So maybe right now you've got loads of time. So you're training for an hour every day. You probably won't be able to do that when we go back to real life. So edit the plan and make it more realistic so it's achievable. And then if you do end up able to add to it and level up, you can do it. But if it's too hard in the beginning, you're going to stop because humans generally take the path of least resistance. We want what's easy. You need to make it easy so then you follow through. This is actually for always, not just for that post-quarantine transition. The habits that stick are the ones that are either easy to do or really obviously triggered or are satisfying or are attractive. So like we brush our teeth because we see our toothbrush and because we don't want to lose our teeth. We make coffee in the morning because it helps us wake up. There are things that we do every day always without thinking about it and if you can turn these new habits that you want to implement into those I'm not having to think about it habits anymore then everything becomes much easier and to do that you just have to make it really really easy. For a breakdown of various behaviour change tools you can download my new ebook which is available from my website or social profiles and hopefully there's some helpful stuff in there for you. Um, I hope you've all enjoyed this. I think it may be longer than most of them. I got lots of questions in the end. Um, So you're welcome and have a wonderful day and I hope everyone had a great Easter. See you next week.